Okay, so uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am delighted to be joined by uh, Bird Lady Roller Pigeons. Uh, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's me again. Thanks for having me. No problem. P possibly the best dressed guest I've ever had. That was certainly probably the most interesting outfit a guest has might have had on your show, but we're still early in the game. That's true. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that ever worn a, a costume on, on the podcast. No, I should. Well, that, I should change that. Well, well, we're changing that today. So that's exciting. Uh, for people listening, uh, she is wearing a bird costume, which is just fantastic. Uh, yellow and green. Uh, do you know what bird it's meant to be? I'm a, I'm a budgie. I'm a budgie. a budgie. Okay. Well, that's my uncle's nickname, um, and it was, I think I was about 16 when I finally learned his real name, and I was like, hang on, Budgie's not your, your name? Like, <laughs> um, so, as I mentioned uh, before we started, the reason that I got in touch with you was because um, someone reached out to me and said that, Josh, you have to cover this um, MMT, uh, TPL story, um, or sorry, T TLP, and basically, I had seen it a couple times mentioned um on super stonk on the gamestop subreddit um not the only gamestop subreddit i must say but the, the the main one um and then yeah i sort of just it's one too many rabbit holes to jump down there's there's so much going on with the the entire story and i hadn't really thought much more of it i had accidentally like looked at meta materials as a company that i might like to like do some research into and possibly even interview the the CEO, and that was before I realized that it was connected in this way with with all of the, oh. yeah, the, the 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 share merging and the the taking it trying to take it off the 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 Nasdaq, and and then uh, yesterday I was speaking to Houston Wade, so this will be the the episode after that interview. So people who have listened to that will have been given a very brief overview of this story, but it sounded absolutely bonkers. So I'm very very excited to to go through this all with you. Um, so, like, do, do you want to start just, like, and give people, like, a brief um, background on, like, who you are and, and, like, how you came to this story? Yes. Uh, can you hold on just one minute? Sorry. Yeah, hold on, no hold on just one minute. Put, put me on pause. Uh, hold on. Uh, That's all right. Uh, yes. Hold on. This is work on... Off the top of my head, period. Okay. So, all right, we can keep going. Sorry, I had to reply to a thing at work. That's right. So it's been hectic past few days at work. So, okay. So what was your question again? I'm sorry. So okay. that's all right. So how did you, how did you come to like, uh, like what's your background in right. like finance or, or if you have any, sure. and then how did you find this story? Okay, so this story, how I found it. Well, I was, okay, so how I found this particular play is I actually was looking for a meta materials company that could be invested in. I said, you know, it might be time to start looking into meta materials. It's very futuristic. Are there any meta material companies out there yet? Any ones big enough? And can I invest in them? So I started looking it up and I came across Meta Materials Incorporated. 
which was in Canada. And luckily for me, uh, they weren't quite, they were on the Canadian stock exchange at the time. This is December, 2020, but they were looking to get on the NASDAQ sometime at that time. It was by March, 2021 is at that time. That's what they had planned. March, 2021, they were going to be on the NASDAQ and they were doing a reverse takeover with this little oil and gas company called Torchlight. And so then I started looking into Torchlight and I have more of a background with oil and gas than I do with finance. So I immediately took a vested interest in, in Torchlight and I got very excited by what I saw, the oil and gas potential. And basically the person who was behind it, Rich Masterson, who had a history with, uh, Texaco, he also had a history with shoot, sorry, it's fleeting my memory. I went dead. Sorry, hold on just a second. Uh it's not Monsanto. It's give me one second. That's all right. Um give me one yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Monsanto, is it? No. Uh, no, I want to say, let's see here. I don't want to say months. It's one of those companies. Um, oh, it is Monsanto. Okay. I was right. Ah. Wonderful. Okay, oh, but one of the world's greatest and most wonderful companies. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, yes. Well, they're known for their GMOs, but of course, they do need uh, petroleum to make a lot of their products. So he had done work with Texaco Monsanto, and he wasn't—he wasn't small potatoes, more or less. He was pretty well known in the Midland Basin, and so I really looked into the Or Grande property, the Or Grande field, and you know the presentation at the time said that this was the largest discovery in. Over 30 years. Now it's pretty much over 40 years, the largest onshore domestic U.S. discovery for oil and gas. Wow. And the more I looked into it, yeah, it's it's pretty big. It's a it's a pretty big area. It's large. It's largely underdeveloped. Now, there were... So where is this in the historically country? Historically speaking, th- yes. Okay, so this is in the far corner of Texas. It's 40 miles east of El Paso. In a county called Hudspeth County. And this is almost on the border of Hudspeth and El Paso County. And this particular field sits on private lands. Although it is owned by university lands, the land itself is considered private in Texas. So while a university lands does own it, it's considered private. University lands, like many other Texas institutions, once Texas became a state... It set aside quite a bit of land to raise money for for schools and for education. For example, my farm is the original survey is schoolhouse so-and-so because it was part of the school lands property. And when it was sold originally in the 1800s, that money went for school. So yeah, if you see El Paso there, now go east of El Paso. That's west. Go east. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Up north. There's a road. 62 is that little road that runs due east of El Paso. Yeah. Okay. So you want to head west, go more like towards El Paso. Okay. 
So like in okay, here, head in west here. a little bit. Yeah, see that little box? Yeah, it's just east of that little box. Okay. Okay, so in here. On the the road, yeah. Where your mouse is, what? That's where the property is. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to get an idea of where we were. So that's that's yeah. where they've 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 struck the largest onshore discovery of oil in like decades. Yes, decades. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Did not now, when that. I say yeah, so when I say onshore oil, I don't mean like when people think oil reserves. A lot of people think like there's a river underground of oil. That's not really how oil and gas works. Uh, it's more or less that the rock is very porous. Think of you like taking a quart of oil and dumping it on your concrete driveway and it seeps into your driveway. That's pretty much how it is. And it's the porosity and the pressure of the rock that determines largely the output. However, technology has advanced in the past 20 years that allows us to tap into more unconventional plays. You have conventional, unconventional plays. In the past, your conventional plays where you stuck a vertical pipe in the ground. Ta-da! Oil and gas comes out. And then they started getting into fracking. By 2007, fracking was really taking off. And today, it's a lot more complex, and fracking's really more fine-tuned. You can't compare fracking today or fracking of, you know, 20 years ago. That just, it, there's no comparison. It's like, you know, Why, a Model what's, A What's the difference? I don't know Ferrari. that much about fracking, aside, okay. uh, aside okay. from, like, yeah. it's, it's pumping wastewater into the ground to, like, get the oil out. That's, that's the summation okay. of my understanding. <laughs> Right. Okay. So fracking, mm, the best way to say it is, okay, so you have wells that go up and down. Okay. Um, let me get a, I'm known for whiteboards, by the way, my channel. And yes. So lots of yes. I did. Enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy okay. some of your whiteboard stuff. It's great. I love diagrams. Okay. Awesome. Right. Okay. So Houston Wade's actually a good guy. Cause he's a geologist. Houston Wade's the geologist guy, but he can attest to this. So in oil and gas, you have like, here's the ground, you know, here's a tree. So you have like, you know, your top soil layers and, you know, so you have like your soil and then you get into rock or different shales, essentially. So you have different types of rock at different levels, depending on the geological events of the area. And so it goes like this. Or it can go like this, depending on the topography, you know, what was once there a while yeah. ago. So you have different, these are called different zones, different plays, and they have funny names, like the further you go down, and it's named more or less after certain time periods, and sometimes they're named after people. So you have things like Sperry or Wolfbone. Rich Masterson's the guy who discovered the Wolfbone play, by the way, in the Permian Basin. That's one of these layers of rock. Okay. So he was the guy who discovered it, Rich Masterson. And so he's he's big potatoes in the uh, movie. It's called the Iron Orchard. They actually did a nod to him by talking about the wolf bone, like check out the wolf bone. It's so productive. That's a nod to Rich Masterson. So you have these shales. And when you do a conventional drill in the past, you stick a big pipe in the ground or you drill a hole, you stick a pipe in there. And that's how this pipe's concrete. And then this rock is full of porous holes and there's pressure. And basically, you know, the oil and gas can get, get pumped into here. There's, there's 
pumps up here. You know, it looks like, you know, a lot of them look like a little horse head going up and down. down. So that's, that's how they used to do it. And, you know, they still do it like that way in some areas. <clears throat> and then you are able to get into harder to reach zones. Let's say you can't get into the rock up here, but there's oil and gas up there, but, you know, it doesn't have the natural porosity, or maybe it does have the natural porosity, but you have to kind of mm, create fractures in the rock, hydraulic fractures, fracking. So you drill vertical, and then you drill horizontal. Not every horizontal well or lateral well, by the way, requires fracking either. Some of them, you're fine. It depends on the rock. So you drill this way and you drill this way. And then you put in perforations, which basically uh, you send a hydraulic trucks up and they pump fluid down. Mm -hmm. And that basically goes crack, you know, the hydraulic pressure. So it cracks the rock and then that and then you pack it full of sand you got a packet full of sand else everything's going to collapse so you got a packet full of special sand and that creates the pathways for the oil and gas to come out better so that's hydraulic fracturing okay. right there okay and the hydraulic fluid is is the water essentially uh the nice thing about this property the Ora grande is it sits on a couple of aquifers both fresh and saltwater aquifers so you don't have to truck in and out the you don't have to truck in the water and it saves quite a bit of money by not trucking in the water uh that's one of the things at least for the midland basin and as well as the delaware basin is that a lot of times water has to be trucked in or you can get it on if, if you're by a pipeline sometimes you can get off the pipeline but a lot of times it has to be trucked in that's significant cost the nice thing about this property the or grande is it has the aquifers on it you don't have to really truck in water that's significant savings especially with fuel costs being high and they do have some water wells on property ready to go right now which is really nice so you know i, I I have some background in oil and gas, and I got really excited about this oil and gas find. I was excited about metamaterials, too, but I was excited about the oil and gas. And so by January 2021, I had bought shares in both MMATS. That was the metamaterials Canadian ticker symbol before they merged, mm -hmm. as well as Torchlight Energy, which was going to be what was going to be taken over. Okay. So Torchlight was the one owned by by Rick Rick Masterson. Um, well, he doesn't own it. He's the guy who discovered it. He partially he owns it with McCabe. McCabe, Greg McCabe is the guy's name. Greg McCabe is the primary holder of the property, mm -hmm. as well as as Torchlight Energy. Torchlight Energy owns most of the oil and gas rights to it. Okay. It owns overall forty nine point nine percent of the oil and gas rights. Okay. So you've seen this company, Torchlight, and they mm -hmm. have this massive, they're sitting on top of this massive field to which they have most of the yes. rights. Um, and you've been mm -hmm. looking at um, MMTAF, did you say it was? was the, MMATF. The, MMATF. Yeah, MMATF. Sorry, MMATF. Um, and then, so you were looking at there because you were thinking, okay, metamaterials, um, interesting, like futuristic right. kind of like technology, like interesting, like tech to get involved in, like, you know, possibly nice big upside potential because of the yeah 
see where the the tech goes so then right what was it like did you had you identified these two like companies independent of each other before they tried the merger um well by then they had announced the merger by then by december they had announced it uh they announced it shortly after september of 20 or it was was about october when they announced it so i had just come across it shortly after they announced it and by then they were sort of synonymous with each other at that point okay wonderful so that was 2020 that's september 2021 right Right. Yeah, it's when they announced it. Okay. I looked at it December. I got it in January. Okay, wonderful. Um, so, okay, so apparently they were already talking about the merger in March of 2021. That's interesting. Right. That was that was the original date for the merger. It got delayed quite a bit. Um, it got delayed back and forth. There was paperwork that had to be resubmitted. And then by the time they resubmitted that and they got comments on that paperwork... FINRA basically said, well, that this other part's expired now. You got to go back and do it. And it wound up being from March to June, essentially, is when the reverse takeover happened. Okay. So then there was – so what – so right, there was there was like some complicated thing with how the shares were going to be arranged um, with the merger. Right. Yes. Okay. So this one – yeah, this one a lot of people still – uh, maybe just also for for clarity for people. So what uh, yeah. the so Meta Materials wanted to get listed on the Nasdaq, and then they did. Um, they wanted to do a merger with Torchlight Energy, who were already mm-hmm. listed on the Nasdaq, um, so that they could yeah be listed on the Nasdaq basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. A lot of people. This was right after SPACs kind of went down. SPACs were really popular, you know, early two thousand. Says one like SPACs were really popular. And you have a SPAC company, a blank blank check company. This is a little bit different than the SPAC, but basically it's a it's an easier way to get onto the market, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Was it is it like sort of like the the reverse mergers that a lot of these Chinese companies were doing um around 2008-9 to get listed on the the New York Stock Exchange? Maybe this is not your like, area of expertise. Uh, like right. I, right. I, I know a lot about Chinese culture and stuff uh, in terms of like chinese companies doing that maybe i'm not sure i have no yeah clear idea about that okay so well, people I can check out the, 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 the there's a yeah. fantastic documentary on it called the china short um where basically um a bunch of companies were uh from china were were doing reverse mergers with u.s companies in order to get listed on the 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 new york stock exchange or the nasdaq or some sort of american stock exchange and they were massively, massively inflating the the their figures in terms of like how big the company was, what they owned in China, like like how much their revenue was, what they were selling, um, and then it's very common with all the companies there. Yes. So they were they <laughs> were massively inflating it, and then when they went to like to do the mergers, then obviously people look at the books and go, well, this company is worth you know however many millions, and then they're you know it's it's like a, a shed in someone's back garden in Shenzhen. And so a bunch of like US, um, like sort of rogue, I don't even know what you'd call them, financiers started going, doing investigations um, into these companies, figuring out that they were worth nothing, 
shorting them like fuck and then releasing their report on it and then making like millions and millions and millions and millions as like they saw themselves as like activist investors i'm not quite sure if mm. i would i would describe them as that but the yeah it's a really interesting documentary i'm pretty sure it's still on netflix if anyone wants to check it out okay that's really interesting thank you for letting me know about that i'm definitely going to check it out it's sort of right. Well, that's so it's interesting that you mentioned that. So Torchlight as a company, uh, of course, was hit hard by 2020 and the whole COVID-19, uh, the whole oil industry mm-hmm. shut down. So oil to produce a barrel of oil, it costs money, right? It costs money to transport that oil. It costs money to refine that oil. You have to pay taxes on the oil when you get out the ground. You have to do this, you know, royalty fees, <clears throat> all that. So the average cost to produce a barrel of oil in 2020 was $25. Today it's 35, 35 to 37. But in 2020, it was $25 a barrel to produce oil. That was the cost of goods sold. And oil had gone down below $25 a barrel. Hence, they would lose money producing oil. It costs more money to produce the oil than what you'd sell it for. And as a result, a lot of things shut down, but luckily nobody was driving. The whole, A lot of the oil industry took a big hit from that, Torchlight being one of those companies. Torchlight had struggled due to, I want to call them short, short and distort reports. So... You mentioned the China short. They saw themselves as activists. They would say, hey, it's actually, it's not a conglomerate. It's, you know, some sort of, you know, shed and a hutong in Beijing. And, uh, you know, it's not this big company with these big reports as it, it shows on paper, right? So short and distort reports are basically they'll take a short position in a company and then they'll release... Uh, you know, rather inflated information about it or skewed information about it. There were at least very opinionated pieces about these these uh, companies. The price goes down, of course, and thus Torchlight had a difficult time raising capital to further develop this oil property because every time, you know, even on good news, such as, yeah, you know, the we just got a third-party confirmation about the oil and gas yes it's there it's as much gas as we thought that we had does exist here's the third part report on that based on the well logs instead a short and distort report is released and the price goes down so people when they say oh news is out about the company but the price is going down oh it must be bad news right don't buy this or short it or sell it creates that effect right and so torchlight had a a very hard time and they were looking to exit out of the NASDAQ more or less. And one reason why they chose Meta is because Meta let them sell the assets or distribute the assets on their schedule. A lot of other companies were like, no, get rid of the oil and gas. Torchlight wanted to either sell or spin out the assets because the goal of the Orgrande was always to sell it when the market was correct, when the market was right for that. And not to be too hasty, and Meta agreed to that. That was one of the terms, of course. Uh, then it had to go to a spin out to get the oil and gas off the books for Meta. But yeah, the 
Torchlight, unfortunately, yeah, suffered from the the China short effect. Yeah. Okay. So just to clarify what what you're saying here, so basically mm-hmm. they they were they were pumping the the oil out of the ground, but then uh, it well, was, or the sorry, the okay, oil and gas. They weren't, well, they weren't pumping it. Uh, so okay, I'll I'll take it back. So um, they were pumping. So some of the assets that they had, they were pumping oil and gas. Mm-hmm. The oil grande, they were not pumping oil and gas yet. Okay. So they it it was just for sign it was just for test confirmation and it was a flowback test that's what it's called the flowback test but on that particular property they're not pumping and they're still not pumping oil and gas out well they couldn't do it on Meta's books because Meta couldn't have oil and gas on their books um because yeah if you're pumping oil and gas then you're selling oil and gas and that changes like the whole valuation of the property and then you have to report it on the books if a property isn't pumping oil and gas you don't have to report its worth on the books accounting wise okay it's a specific oil and gas accounting thing yeah and that's led a lot of people to short and distort one reason why they short and distorted the or grande because in torchlight because if you're not pumping oil and gas then the worth of the oil and gas asset isn't as much on the books as a zero dollar value and thus they always look at you know Assets on hand on the books. See, it says seventy-seven million. The or grande isn't worth much, and you try to explain to them how this works. Look, here's the paper. This is how Conoco Phillips even does it. You know that people won't have any of it. They have their own opinions, and they can't. It's you know if they don't want to be convinced otherwise. So yeah, that's a big big problem right there, or a big issue. One of the issues, I should say. Okay. Okay, so then, so they were sitting on top of this property, but they hadn't like pumped any of it out. Um, right, it was then, very limited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then Meta Materials come in, and they don't want to have this on their books, so it has to be like held as something different. In a, in it's the I think it was the preferred Class A stock, so it had represented the this value of the the stuff that was still in the ground. Yes. Okay, so you had that. And then there was like there was some other like weird thing that were with the way the the with the the way that the shares merged. So like what was going on there? Right. I can't remember the exact okay. thing. Right. So when metamaterials merged with torchlight, that's what we're on. Um, metamaterials. You know, here's meta. Right. Here's torchlight. When they merge, when they merge, reverse takeover. They have a, a new entity. Right. It's Meta. This company owns seventy five percent. Torchlight. If you had a torchlight share, you got a twenty five percent stake in it. Okay, and how they reflected that was if you had MMATF's shares at the time, you would get extra shares. Okay. And then if you had torchlight shares at the time, you would get the Series A preferred, which represented the oil and gas, your oil and gas that you were entitled to. Mm-hmm. And then a one-to-one, but overall, their shares were 25% of the company in MMAT. So that's how it was designed. Okay. Wonderful. So then the the, the deal that, that – the way that Houston explained it to me was that basically – so these, these uh, Series A or Class A preferred shares – were not meant to be traded. That was just meant that they so, – so when he said they weren't meant to be traded, like – how how does that work if there's if there's shares like how why were they not allowed to be traded? Sure, uh, the mm, 
Okay, so the Series A preferred share, correct, was not intended to be traded. And there was language on there that said, you know, it's not to be traded on any exchange. Okay. Okay. It's not on any exchange markets different. On any exchange, unless, you know, such a market develops for it, we don't expect a market to develop for it. Okay, so there's language there. Um, there was a couple of reasons why it did get trading. Uh, some of those pathways are indeed unscrupulous, and we'll get to that here shortly. But the intention was it wasn't supposed to be trade. You're supposed to keep that share in your account as a non-trading preferred share until sale or spin out of the assets when it would become something else entirely. Okay. You know, either the next bridge or which at that point in time wasn't named next bridge yet, or it, you know, would have been sold to an oil and gas company. Okay. So, so then what happened was the shares just started trading, right? Yes. So uh, one day in early October, a lot of people woke up and they saw that MM, they saw that their preferred share, a lot of them had changed its name to MMTLP, and all of a sudden it had a cash value attached to it, and you could trade it. And a lot of people were very surprised by this, and there was no announcement ahead of time. Right? It just showed up one day. Now, granted, there was a FINRA notice on the daily list for FINRA. However, nobody knew that this would have been MMTLP at the time. So who was paying attention to that, right? Nobody was was religiously scrolling through FINRA's daily list at the time. But yeah, it just appeared one day in early October on the 7th wave as MMTLP. Okay. So then my understanding is what happened next was people were like, hang on, I can I can buy more of this? Because, you know, it's it seems like, it seemed to them, or my understanding was that, like, they thought, okay, so they're sitting on what you described as the largest, like, onshore find mm -hmm. of, of oil in decades. And it seemed to be trading at quite a cheap price. Right. I, I'm one of those people. I saw it as an opportunity to get more. So I was very, very excited. And I saw it as an opportunity to get more shares. Okay, so so what what were they trading at roughly at that point when you bought when you realized this? Okay, uh, the first day it was trading. Of course, everybody's talking about it. It depends what platform you were on. Actually, uh, it was either anywhere from seventy cents that day up until up, up until about a buck twenty, depending on what platform you were on the first day. But within the first week of trading, it got up to three dollars a share. Of course, then the price came back down rather quickly, but it got up to three dollars a share rather quickly. Okay, and like, what is like? Ju just ju this. This seems like uh, unless there are billions of the shares, that seems like a very low price for such a huge find. So, like, w what would your like at that point? Like, what were you thinking price target wise? Okay, well, that's okay. So that is a, a question I get quite a bit. You know, if if the oil and gas is really there, it's that significant. Why is Torchlight or MMTLP? Why is it so low in price? Um, and there, you know, it it all comes down to, to your conviction and your speculation at this point in the game. You can say yes. Here's the evidence. You know, what's at least publicly available evidence 
uh, about the oil and gas, you know, the publicly available evidence. There's some well logs there that you can go look at on the Railroad Commission. I made a video about those. There's, uh, you know, the PR stating that the third party report, they used Mike Mullen, who worked for Halliburton for some years and actually had a, a phone call with him. I talked on the phone with him for about an hour and he was telling me about his projects. And of course, he couldn't reveal any important or what I was really calling for information about the Oro Grande. He couldn't do that. But we talked about you know, other projects he worked on and how he cut his teeth and how he evaluates things and his methodologies. And it was really interesting. But you have this third party report. And the fact is that they had several geologists look at this, not just one. You have McCabe, who's a geologist, Masterson, who's a geologist. Okay. Then you bring in uh, Zabowski, who worked on the Bakken Shale. And that's North and South Dakota. He worked on there. He was a big geologist up in the Bakken Shale. He even evaluated the oil and gas. And then you had the third party report from Mike Mullen from Stimulation Petrophysics who confirmed it all. So you had multiple geologists evaluating this. And they all agreed it was a very big oil and gas find. So much so that Torchlight focused on just getting through you know, all the economic hardship to keep this property, right? There were diamond hands in this property. They sold off other assets just to keep this property afloat. And that's, you know, one of why when they chose to get out of the NASDAQ and let Meta take it over, you know, one of the contingency was they would manage the asset how they saw fit. That was agreed upon, you know, because that was basically their, their, you know, their magnum opus, I want to say. Your magnum opus right there. Yeah. Well, but mean, it all there, comes down yeah. to conviction. Yeah. It comes down to conviction. They're currently not selling the oil, as I said. Uh, Metamaterials, they're a green, Canadian green company. As a result, if you want to be a Canadian green company, you can't have oil and gas sales or hydrocarbons on your books. So if they were to even sell oil and gas at that time, uh -uh. and the other asset that was selling oil and gas was actually operated by Masterson ha Hazelton Partners, MHP, which is Rich Masterson and Greg McCabe, those two. So the oil and gas that came out of that was actually on their books not. Meta's books, and that's even how they went around doing that. So Meta didn't have that negative impact on their books. Okay, right. So then, um, at some point, then towards the end of last year, they decided mm -hmm. to take the company off the Nasdaq and make it like take it private. Okay, so MMTLP was trading. At this point, when MMTLP started trading, it was the OTC. It was yeah. trading on OTC. It was pink sheets. Uh, you know, that was not brought on the OTC by anybody from Torchlight or Metamaterials. That was actually the result of a couple of market makers getting together, either on behalf of themselves or on behalf of a client. And they facilitated a market for this on the OTC. Uh, at the time, the Series A preferred share in order to be 
more easier to disperse was DTCC eligible. And that's part of the reason why it was able to start trading is because they were advised at the time, you know, by one law firm, I said, hey, to make this, you know, facilitating the preferred share, make it DTCC eligible so it can go on people's accounts really quickly. And there's no pushback from the brokerages saying, hey, there's this untradeable preferred share at the $0 value in the account just sitting there. Mm-hmm. You have it DTCC eligible. Okay, it makes it easier. But at the same time, you have these market makers get together. There's already DTCC eligible for electronic trading. Okay. Um, the first, actually, first day it wasn't trading electronically. It stopped for a day and then it was trading electronically. So the market makers got together and then, yeah, MMTLP was created. The information you used the file for, it was actually old Torchlight information. It wasn't even current Torchlight information. It was old Torchlight information with a former CEO listed on there it wasn't even the current ceo okay the so, of it was so, a former one so hang on let's just pause there for one second so the market yeah. makers decided that they wanted this to be tradable and they mm-hmm. faked like they, they they were able to do it by using old information without the approval of either meta materials or torchlight correct it, what <laughs> Okay, so there was, yeah, so, okay. It was, again, it's OTC. Um, So they were able to do it under the pretenses of pre-quoting a trade, pre-quoting. So FINRA had a new rule set that came out in September, that September 30th, that talked about, you know, it was a revision to Form 211, which is what you needed to do this. And then the rule was 512C-11, but these were revisions. The new revision said that you couldn't pre-quote anything without company you know, permission, but they filed it right on the cusp. And actually, if you read this, OC- this OCC memo that came out, attached to the options, John Berta posted it. Um, when that came out in June after the merger, it actually even said that we plan on this becoming tradable again sometime in the future okay. so it was pretty interesting but yeah that how that how that got facilitated by market makers yeah it was old information meta materials went to finra after it started trading and i'm sure houston wade told you this but finra went too late you know it's already the you know pandora's box is open too late yeah, uh this that sounds just fucking insane like like so so they didn't approve this and two market makers like just decided well, this would happen. Sort the of. company didn't approve it. Yeah, yeah, their company didn't approve it. Yeah, but Finra did allow it to happen. Yeah, yeah, Finra, yeah. But, yeah, but that said, just seems fucking insane that Finra can just be like, well, well, well what do you want us to do it's, about it? It's like it's different now, but yeah, at the time, yeah, they, when they went to the company because it it was past that rule change. That yeah, it was very interesting how that happened that's a big proponent that actually caused a lot of of tension between a lot of people you know because people like me were buying shares of mmtlp i saw it as an opportunity to get more there's also groups of people who saw this as like a trick or that these shares were fake or you know that they weren't real shares and so there was actually quite a division of people uh with the preferred share at the time that if it was 
even valid or not. Okay. Of course, that's that was that was later on uh, confirmed to be, you know, that all shares of MMTLP certainly were owed or should be owed a series of next sheriff next bridge. Okay. Right. Okay. So then, so then what, what happened, what happened after this? Cause then, yeah. Cause then we have to still get to this, the, the, the point where the, it gets, is it, so it's right. MMT, okay. uh, TLP gets good. They, they wanted to pull it from the market then ultimately. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So how did we get to that? So point? yeah. I mean, sure. So MMTLP was spinning out into uh, a new company Originally, they had it as Oil Co., but then, you know, Oil Co. is just a general spin-out placeholder name. And then it was revealed, NextBridge Hydrocarbons. You know, here comes NextBridge. And they filed the S1 for NextBridge Hydrocarbons in July of 2022 is when they filed it. It was when the first S1 for NextBridge Hydrocarbons was filed, saying, hey, we're going to spin out into a private company. It's public reporting because... You know, we're going to have more shareholders than the threshold. So it's going to be a public reporting company, but it's going to be private in terms of how it's treated, not going to be traded, you know, not going to be traded, of course, on any open market or exchange. It's not going to be DTCC eligible. Okay, they learn they're not DTCC eligible. Lesson learned. You know, this is going to be a private share. And that was, yeah, that was in July okay. is when the S1 was filed. But we were told that the spin out was going to happen actually in late December of 2021. We were told that the spin out was going to happen. And that was even in the prospectus at the time. If sale didn't happen by December 2021, then it would spin out. It took them some time, though, to get the, the documents in order. Mm. Seven months. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of time. Okay, so then, so then they're saying, right? Okay, so this is going to go and become a privately traded. Uh, so Nextbridge Hydrocarbons is going to become a tri- a privately traded company, and they have to say. Then they have to say, okay, so what that means that they have to pull, um, or stop the trading on MMT TLP, right? Correct. Yeah. So how it works is Meta had the Nextbridge shares, and they were going to issue that in exchange for MMTLP and MMTLP was going to be deleted. Okay. They had a corporate action notice and the dates were there. Even, even, you know, there's a PR that came out that, you know, all holders who had basically a settled share of MMTLP by December 13th was going to receive a share of Nextbridge. And okay. the last, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, from what Houston had mentioned, that there is there is speculation that there had been a whole bunch of synthetic shares generated um, by market makers in this in this period, basically between between MMT uh, TLP starting trading on on a on mm-hmm. some sort of market, and then the the moment at which they had to say, okay. So you're not going to exchange them, and there should be this many shares, and and we're going to like change them for for these like privately owned what will be um, next bridge hydrocarbons. So then, what the fuck happened? And because from from my understanding is, you're still waiting for those shares, right? Pretty much, 
Pretty much, yes. We okay. were still waiting for the shares, uh, more or less, yes. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, would you like mm -hmm. to explain how the fuck it's possible that, <laughs> that you just don't get the, like, because it just seems like it's a very simple, simple transaction. There should be 10 million, like, I know that's probably not the number, but there should be, like, for example, 10 million shares of this company, and then you're going to come and say, okay, we're going to take these all off, and everyone that has one is going to get one of these new ones, right? What the? F right. Why the fuck right. did that not just that happen simple. immediately? Like, what, what, what is the? Okay. What's been the holdup here? Right. So uh, let's go back to Torch because that's kind of where it starts again. Torch was a very heavily shorted company, and most of the shorts going into the reverse takeover were not settled. Believe it or not, they were not settled. And the, the fact the that shorts that OCC didn't close their position. What? They, they did not close. Yeah, of course. Never. I don't believe that. But I, short short, short hedge funds are, are normally so <laughs> reputable and they always follow honest. the rules. And honest, honest actors in, in, in this wonderfully free and, and well-regulated <laughs> market that we, that we are witnessing here. So, of course. Of course. The OCC Bebo again said that we expect this to trade, you know, it's not going to trade. And it said it gave the date for October 7th on there, which is like when MMTLP came out, right? So already they had anticipated this. As a result, there was nobody forcing shorts to close their positions. Okay, so you go into this reverse takeover with all these unclosed positions, right? Already a heavily shorted company. And here's all these, you know, new Series A preferred shares, which are basically, you know, self-doled out by the brokers. There's no value or anything attached to them. So whatever, it's sitting in there. And then, of course, you know, it starts trading. And, of course, it gets shorted some more. And we know that because it was on the threshold list for about 46 consecutive days on the OTC threshold list. And oh, in wow. fact, it ended the last day of trading still on the threshold list, right? And those positions still haven't been closed out yet. No, so, it was on the know. threshold list right at the end. Yes. And those positions aren't still closed out. Nobody, there was no corporate action to close them out. Brokerages were letting people short run until the end. Of course, it was on the threshold list through the end of trading day. And, you know, there's been no way to reconcile the shares since. So we know that there's some, at least some outstanding shares. To what extent, you know, you can do some math and, and probability and, you know, take sample sizes and kind of extrapolate mm -hmm. from there, which I have some videos on, which I've done. And I've, you know, extrapolated me and I talk with this other gentleman, his name is tony he has a youtube channel market moves with tony we both do math together we both come to the conclusion yeah about you know 480 to 500 million shares could be there more or less how many should there uh, be it, it should be on the books okay so for mmtlp specifically 165.5 million however i will say next bridge is going to have more because mccabe converted some of his other interest in the Or Grande to shares. Like all the other interesting parties in the Or Grande came together into Nextbridge. So I've always accounted for that and expected that to happen. So all my videos like reflected that event. But as far as MMTLP to Nextbridge holders, you know, Torchlight to Nextbridge holders, there should be 165.5 million. Okay. 
and you think there's there. somewhere in the range of 500 to 600 million i think that there's somewhere in the range actually of like 388 to 500 million that's me okay. personally Okay. It might be more though, but that's you know that's Nextbridge has authorized up to five hundred million shares. You know that's, of course, that's not how it's going to work. That everybody just gets a free share of Nextbridge. You know the shorts aren't going to get a free share of Nextbridge. Of course, they get a got to get that share somehow. They got to buy back that share somehow. But trading on MMTLP ended about two days too soon. So there was no reconciliation days. There was a Finra U three halt. Put out there the morning of December 8th, I think it was. Let me go back to December. Sorry, December 9th. Friday morning, December 9th. It was put out there. The U3 halt. No trading. It said no trading until. The halt's going to be there until MMTLP is canceled and next bridge share is given. Okay. Until that event occurs. Okay, so right, let me let me just like rewind here and, and make sure I've got everything straight. Sure. So basically, the company so Torch Torchlight had been heavily shorted as we discussed at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. and then when the merger happened, those short positions had not yet been closed out. Right. So then, um, some then for all of the preferred um, class A shares that had been or series a that had been like that you were meant to get they were worthless theoretically they had no price attached to them right Right. they had no price attached to them not worthless no price attached to them so then Correct. so then the because they were being self-distributed by the brokers they just generated as many of those as they had like shares on their books right Okay. Right. Which meant that there was already loads of extras of those floating around, but it didn't really Correct. matter to anyone because there was no cash price a- attached to it, so nobody asked any questions. Right. And it wasn't supposed to trade. Nobody really asked any questions. Okay. So then these market makers come along. They create a market for it against the wit, well, not against, but without the, the without any input from the company whatsoever. So Correct. then all of a sudden you you're sitting with. All of these things that were w- moments ago had no price value attached to them. Now I have like a, you know, physical like price and, and like mm-hmm. weight within the market. Right. So there's like, there's right. already loads of this, like seemingly magic money that has appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> right. Due to, due to what's happened, what we've discussed. And then on top of that, then they start shorting it further. And leads to mm-hmm. like somewhere between like two to three times as many shares as should exist circulating right. in, in the markets. Then they go to halt the trading in order to remove these shares from the market and exchange them for the um, the the next bridge ones. But it gets halted early, and then yes. the short positions never get closed out. And therefore, there's like two to three times as many people now vying for shares of Nextbridge through their previous holdings of MMT, um, TLP. Mm-hmm. And there has been no reconciliation of this situation at all. And it's been like, what, almost two months? Correct. You are correct. Yeah, it's been over six weeks at this point. Yep. No reconciliation. <laughs> what? Like I've listened to you explain this, but it still seems insane that this Isn't is going it? on. What is the I've, fuck is 
kudos to you for understanding all of that. Yeah. Thank you, kudos. You got it right. It's it's not easy to understand. <laughs> well, I mean, I still don't understand what the fuck has happened. <laughs> so, right. So, so, so how does the training mm -hmm. stop two days early without, like, like surely uh, this... this so, yeah. FINRA, so the last two days were really a reconciliation day. Is right. So if you had bought your share of Next Bridge on the eighth or before, you would be entitled, you know, if you bought MMTLP on the eighth or before of December, you'd be entitled to Next Bridge. If you sold on the ninth or the eleventh, you would lose that entitlement, right? You couldn't double dip it. You couldn't sell it, get the money, and then get the right to the share. You couldn't double dip it. I call it double dipping. No double dipping. You would, whoever bought it technically would get the right. But then there was another clause in there that said, you know, if you buy it on this day, you're not, you're not going to get the right to that share either. So what's left is if you're short on it, you have to close out your position. That's the only way it, it does it. And more or less it would, you know, it would uh, basically, there had been a deletion, which it, it basically would have canceled out the debt shorts would own reconciliation days but of course that was it was halted by finra and a lot of people were left going uh because we had the option at that point it's like well you know if we don't want next bridge or hold or wait we have two days to, to think about it right to make a decision and then if there's any shares bought on any of those two days you knew that there was evidence of shorting right because they'd have to buy to close out their positions of course, it was you three halted that happened that morning, and the, the FINRA gives it under the guise of. And I was actually there's more information today about it uh, from a FINRA response to Rosa Twill's filings with uh, the courts. FINRA claims that okay, you know, an extraordinary event has occurred. And thus, we are protecting investors by halting this. And, you know, there's this extraordinary event. They're not being specific. They just, you know, say extraordinary event has occurred and or it's a settlement issue. We are protecting investors. So we have halted this and we are justified in doing so because an extraordinary event has happened. And of course, all right, well, great, but... Yeah. Did, did nobody can reconcile the shares. There was lots of short positions, and now they're in a private company. Short. They're in a private company. Short. I'm so confused about how this is allowed to happen. Like, like, is in like right in an event in a situation like this, right, mm -hmm. where a company's like deciding they're going, we're going to pull our shares off and we're going to replace them with this new privately owned thing. Mm -hmm. Is there nobody in any financial regulatory, whether that's like agency or, or like clearing house or mm -hmm. like whether that's the DTCC, whether that's um, like the FINRA, whether it's the SEC who you feel maybe you should be involved somewhere when there's like, you know, something like this involved, like some mm -hmm. sort of agency or group or body who who goes, OK, so right. How many shorts do we have? Uh, like how many how many people are short on mm -hmm. on on this company? So right here's the here's all the people that need to close out their positions. 
like you know make it happen is is sure is, is, the, is there no one that's like watching this aside from like people okay. on the internet like ah. screaming into a void going what the fuck is going on okay there is there is an, there is a, a an agency that does that that sort of but they don't watch it like you think they do it's the dtcc and it's called the continuous net settlement yeah and that's basically but that's more or less off of the net your net longs right and since none of the positions were settled out now it's all gross longs that need to share right not mm-hmm. net longs it's all gross because nothing got settled out so there's yeah a lot more shares left in the books it should be dtcc usually settles the books that's their job you know finra oversees the rules and then sec is a part of it basically it's there was a lot of, you know, a lot of entities just said, eh, no, it's fine. It's it's fine. And that's my opinion. Why why it, it happened and allowed to go on for that long is the million-dollar question. It's baffling. So right, so what is um what is the what are the details of this lawsuit that's been filed then by by this okay. woman, uh Rosa? Yeah, so R- Rosa Twill, Rosa uh, Twill. she Yes, uh, she basically filed that she wanted the two trading days back. It wasn't fi- it wasn't suing for any monetary damages. It was, hey, we want the two trading days back. And I believe this is why. And she even said nothing was settled out. I want the two trading days back. And Finner just made a response to that today. I read through it the first time. So I can't really comment on it now. I'd like to digest it more, but... So FINRA is not a government agency. They're they're a government approved agency that's self-regulated, right? So of course we're gonna do an internal investigation about it. No, we're fine. Right? Uh they're they're a self-regulated organization. And because they're in a government approved agency, you really can't sue them. And they actually claim this on uh, against Rosa Twill, like, hey, you can't, we have immunity. We have absolute immunity. You can't touch us. They use that line quite a bit in those papers. Uh, so but she's she's more or less fighting for getting the two trading days back, you know, not monetary compensation for damages. She wants those two trading days back. So I'm just looking up exactly who Finra are, like who owns or or is is Finra. Right. So it says says that uh, chief executive officer, the board is the CEO of Finra, the CEO of the New York Stock Exchange regulation, eleven public governors, and ten industry governors. So just yeah, some industry insiders essentially. Pretty uh, much. So. And yeah, they're, they're all like, oh, mm-hmm. we'll totally, totally regulate ourselves just because, you know, yep. th- w- trust us. It's okay. It's okay. Trust us. We're experts on the market. Uh, interestingly enough. You wouldn't understand. It's too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's more or less. Uh, so one of the market makers, so the two market makers that started trading MMTLP was Canaccord Genuity and Global Trading Solutions. Mm-hmm. The CEO of Global Trading Solutions, Ari Rubenstein, 
actually sits on one of the FINRA advisory committees. He sits on the FINRA market surveillance advisory committee. Oh, okay. and he was so on the FINRA. Trust, he so was trust him. He, okay. he was on the even on the FINRA market surveillance advisory committee at the time that MMTLP was trading. I got a letter from FINRA stating that. So, uh, he even was on there. So there you go. It's of course right. Well, so then, so then, what what do you think is going to happen with this lawsuit? Do you think that the you, you'll get the trading days back, and then theoretically, well, what happens with with the the price? Well, so it's not really just Rosa that's working at it. You know, Rosa's one person; she's an independent woman, and she's fighting what what she believes for is right, which is two trading days. And a lot of people also believe this to be correct; they want two trading days. You know, I'd like to see some reconciliation of the shares. Uh, there was a new company called Flamethrower. The PR for it came out last week, two weeks ago. Some of the older, by older I mean 2018 and prior, Torchlight holders had gotten together and created their own company, Flamethrower LLC, which has hired Wes Christian. Oh, really? And Wes Christian is now, yeah, now he's, mm. they've hired him to you know, help facilitate, push this in a direction. I'm not sure what direction yet, right? I don't know what direction yet this is going. We only know that, yes, indeed, they've hired him to investigate, you know, the whole Next Bridge MMTLP debacle. And he's a pretty heavy hitter, and he doesn't take small cases either. No, he does not. (laughs) That's very interesting. Okay, well... um. Miss Roller Pigeon, it has been an absolute pleasure. It's getting very late over Likewise. here, so I I am gonna have to to shoot because I will fall asleep very soon. Sure. Um, not that this is not riveting, but I've had an incredibly long day. <laughs> um. So, uh. Yeah. Do you wanna? Is there anything you wanna plug before we finish up here? Um. I don't know. Sorry. I, I'm usually not in these kind of situations. Um. I don't know. I say get some rest. Take care of yourself. So, yeah, get some rest. This is a very tiring situation. You know, a lot of us hope that we'll see some sort of settlements, reconciliation, trading soon, something to get at least the short shares reconciled off the books because, the you know, it was a bare minimum. This was on the restricted, you know, the it was on it was on the restricted list for Finra through the last day of trading, right? Because it was it was shorted that much on the OTC, had that many failed to delivers. They didn't deliver, had failed to delivers, nothing was reconciled. So you know that there are shares that do need to be reconciled still. Yes. Well, GameStop holders will be very familiar with this idea of FTDs and things never being reconciled. Of course. Um, so uh, it is a story we are well versed in, and and hence why, because if one company can do it, then right. perhaps many companies can shine a light upon the uh, just obscene numbers of failed delivers that that exist within um, the U.S. Uh, financial system on a daily basis. And oh yeah. Maybe it might force a conversation about transparency and, you know, same day settlements and the fact that fails to deliver just probably should not exist in a modern market. 
but um, those are all stories for another day. So yeah, um, people, please check out uh, Bird Lady's uh, YouTube channel. I will link it in the description below uh, and your Twitter account as well. Um, and yeah, have a great day. Okay, take care. Have a good night. Get some rest. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.